Cleveland Mayoral Debate, Voters First, is made possible by grants from the Cleveland Foundation and the George Gunn Foundation. Good evening. From the Westfield Studio Theater in the Idea Center at Playhouse Square in Cleveland, Ohio, I'm Rick Jackson, senior host at IdeaStream Public Media. Cleveland Mayor Frank Jackson is retiring. For the first time in 16 years, the city will elect a new leader. Welcome to Cleveland Mayoral Debate, Voters First. Actually, this is the first of two debates coordinated by IdeaStream Public Media and the City Club of Cleveland, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization and one of the oldest free speech forums in the United States. The rules for tonight have been agreed to by all the campaigns. Additional partners here are the Press Club of Cleveland and Northeast Ohio Solutions Journalism Collaborative, a partnership of nearly two dozen media organizations, including IdeaStream. We welcome those watching on WVIZ, listening on WCPN, and streaming the event live. At the beginning of summer, we polled the community to ask you what issues are most important. Those are the issues we're starting with tonight. Public safety, racial equity, health equity, housing, and transparency in government. Next week, the candidates will debate on jobs in the economy, transportation, the environment, and public education. Our questions tonight and next week come directly from citizens. I may have follow-up questions. None of the questions have been shared with these candidates. Candidates will have 60 seconds to answer each question. When rebuttals are needed, that person will receive 30 seconds. Not every candidate will answer every question. I'd like to now introduce the seven people here. One is going to be the next mayor of Cleveland. State Senator Sandra Williams. Kevin Kelly, Council President from Ward 13. Attorney Ross DeBello, nonprofit executive Justin Bibb. Former Council Member Zach Reed from Ward 2. Former Mayor and U.S. Congressman Dennis Kucinich. Councilman Bashir Jones of Ward 7. Tonight's format, each candidate will offer an opening statement and will have the opportunity for a closing statement. In between, they'll answer your questions. The speaking order for opening and closing statements was determined by a random draw. Candidates will have 60 seconds each for both the opening and the closing statement. So let's get to it. We begin tonight with Councilman Bashir Jones. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to every partner who has made this night possible. You know, I love this city of Cleveland, but right now, we are at a serious crossroad. Over 200 people are leaving our city every month, and businesses are following as well. And not only that, but we are living in a city where our children don't feel safe to play in the park. You know, my grandmother said that if you do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, that is the definition of insanity. The reality is, is that this city is ready and in need of new leadership, a new generation of leadership and new change. This, this city is necessary in order for it to grow, in order for us to look towards our future, we must absolutely have a leader that is authentic, that is courageous, that is persistent, that is consistent, and that puts residents first. We cannot be successful as a city if the concerns of our residents are not heard. I'm excited to speak tonight about my plan, about how we take Cleveland to the next level, but just know for sure, 
We cannot move forward if we continue to make the same mistakes of the past. It's time for new leadership. Thank you. Next up, we'll hear from Justin Bibb. Thank you to the City Club and IdeaStream for hosting this important discussion. My name is Justin Bibb, and I'm running for mayor because I believe that now is the time for bold, new, dynamic leadership to move our city forward. I'm a son of the Southeast side, and like many folks in the city, I've experienced my own fair share of challenges. I know what it's like to bury a family member due to violent crime. I know what it's like to see the pain in my mom's eyes when we were struggling to make ends meet. I know what it's like to see the pain in my family when local government did not work for us. But in this moment right now, we have an opportunity to take that pain and, challenge, and turn that pain into purpose to become the best mid-sized city in America. We can be a model for racial and economic justice. We can be a model to show this country what a transparent and modern city hall can look like. And we can be a model to ensure that every child in our city can live up to their God-given potential. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. State Senator Sandra Williams. Thank you all so much for having me here tonight. My name is Sandra Williams and I am honored to be here tonight. I wanna also thank the people of Cleveland for electing me over the last 15 years to serve as their state representative and state senator. I wanna point out the fact that I am the only woman in this race for mayor. I have served our country in the United States Army Reserve. I have also served in the field of law enforcement for over 10 and a half years as a corrections officer, probation officer, parole officer, and mediator for the state of Ohio. I am qualified, I have been tested, and I have delivered. I sponsored the bill to make racism a public health crisis in the state of Ohio. I jointly sponsored the bill to expand Medicaid to provide health care for every Clevelander in the state of Ohio. I have also just recently brought home a half a billion dollars to tear down the 4,000 plus abandoned homes in the city of Cleveland and to clean up the vacant and blighted commercial property that is in our city. Once that property is cleaned up, we will bring jobs to those places and we will bring more businesses here to the city of Cleveland. I am the right leader for the job in the city of Cleveland and thank you so much for having me here today. Former Ward 2 Councilman, Zach Reed. Thank you, Rick, and thank you to everyone who put this on this evening. My name is Zach Reed and I'm running for mayor of the city of Cleveland and to the voters of the city of Cleveland. One thing has been missing over the past few decades here in the city of Cleveland, and that is the sense of urgency. The sense of urgency to solve the real problems, the pressing problems that are facing the citizens of the city of Cleveland. Issues such as crime, issues such as poverty, issues such as the lack of city services. You need a mayor who is not afraid to say what is on their mind. You need a mayor that has the ability, that has the experience to go to City Hall on day one, to roll up their sleeves and change the direction of this city. And that is me, Zach Reed, the next mayor of the city of Cleveland. Thank you. Congressman Dennis Kucinich. Thanks, Rick. People of Cleveland know me. They know that whenever I get involved in something, that I have the courage to stand up, speak out, and to change the outcome. It's that can-do spirit, which Cleveland needs right now to lift it up out of the doldrums of crime and poverty. 
It's a can-do spirit which says, yes, we can have 400 new police. Yes, we can have 100 new safety assistants who handle crisis intervention. Yes, we can have a civic peace de department. Yes, we can cut utility rates, water rates by 10 percent, CPP residential rates by 10 percent, sewer rates by 10 percent. Now, how can I say that? Look, remember, people said you can't save Muni Light. Well, we did it years ago. Now we have Cleveland Public Power over the years saving people of Cleveland hundreds of millions of dollars in rates and in taxes. We still have a steel mill as a result of my involvement with this community. There's so many examples where we've proven with a can-do attitude, you can change the outcome. And if you elect me as your mayor, again, you know I'll be there for you. Thank you. Our next opening statement from Mr. Ross DeBello. Thank you, Rick. My fellow Clevelanders, I'm Ross DeBello. I live in West Park with my incredible wife, Lauren, and our dog named Baby. I'm an attorney and a former professional poker player. Now, you probably haven't heard of me, and that's on purpose. Last October, I put out a platform that fixes and holds City Hall accountable for crime, poverty, all our issues. The platform would serve us, not the suburbs. But the major media local outlets ignored every single press release I sent. So I had to make a choice as vaccines rolled out. Do I try and get this platform that has term limits and a number of just common sense things on it onto the ballot? West Park knows what I did. With my wife's support and while keeping my 40 hour week job, I went out and met thousands of Clevelanders and talked to them. And I got a historic almost 4,000 signatures from people who wanted this platform and that type of energy on the ballot. Check it out at rostabella.com because it belongs to you now. It helps all of us, no matter your side of town, no matter your age, race, gender, because it gives us control of our taxes and our direction. I'll bring this new energy and service to City Hall. Thank you. Thank you. And our final opening statement from the current City Council President, Kevin Kelly. Thank you, Rick, and thank you to everybody involved. My name is Kevin Kelly. As stated, I'm the President of Cleveland City Council. More importantly, I'm a husband. I'm the father of five daughters, and everything I do is through that lens. That is that's the values, and that's what grounds me, and that's why I think government is so important, and that's why I believe in the future of this city. Tonight, we will hear a lot about the issues and the challenges that face us. And I'm very familiar with all of these challenges because I live it every day. I experience every day. I work on it every day. But I absolutely believe, I am absolutely positive, that our best days lie ahead of us. But it is going to take thoughtful, experienced, visionary leadership to get us from where we are now to the Cleveland that can be. And that's what I will bring to the mayor's office. Cleveland's in a tough spot right now. We are coming out of our second recession in 10 years. Violent crime has spiked. And this so-called recession is not bringing everybody with us. We are leaving too many people behind. But despite these challenges, there is a path forward. There is hope for the future. When I'm mayor, I'm going to build a Cleveland. We're going to have a recovery that includes all people in all neighborhoods. We're going to invest in Cleveland and in Clevelanders. Clevelanders. Clevelanders do not give up when times are tough. We're going to invest in the people that are here, the assets that we here that are here, so that we can build a greater Cleveland for every citizen in every neighborhood in our great city. Thank you, Mr. Kelly, and thank you to all of you for being here tonight and for participating in this debate. We are now going to begin with questions from you, submitted over the past several months 
Following the question, I will ask several of the candidates for answers before moving on to the next question. We are beginning with the category of public safety, and candidates in this case, all of you will have a chance to answer one of the questions during this set of queries. Our first question comes from Ohio City resident Tessa Schwan. Do you believe armed law enforcement should be responding to mental health crisis incidents in the city of Cleveland? Senator, you mentioned having a background in law enforcement. I'll go to you first, Sandra Williams. Thank you very much for the question. Let me just say this, as a parole officer, I used to uh, go out to homes by myself on a regular basis and I would find that the situation that I was called out there for by my parolee was actually not something that needed to be ha handled by law enforcement officers. I definitely think that law enforcement officers need to be in the background and we need to have mental health counselors as well as alcohol and drug addiction counselors with law enforcement officers when they go out. That is a part of my plan. Right now that happens in the city of Cleveland from certain hours of the day, not every day of the week and not every hour of the day. I believe that we should have a dual approach. Law enforcement should be in the background and the experts that handle mental health issues should be the ones addressing that issue. That will stop uh, so many people from being arrested needlessly because they have a mental health condition. Thank you. Thank you. Councilman Kelly. Thank you. The pl when there is a call for service for a mental health consumer, that call for service, they don't know what the, what the circumstances are. And it can be a dangerous situation. The police need to be involved. The mental health professionals, and I am, by the way, I'm a former, I'm a former social worker. I worked in community mental health for over 15 years. And I understand I, what these calls for service are, the volatility that's there. The police need to be the first responders, but that doesn't mean it has to be our last interaction. Mental health professionals can accompany the police. They can advise, but they shouldn't be first on scene. And it's, it's becoming too easy to say we're going to put social workers on these calls for service. The police are trained to handle volatile situations. Mental health professionals can support that, but it would be, it would be it's not as simple as saying that we can make determinations of who should be responding to what calls. Everybody in this, in this in that equation, from the police, the mental health professionals, the whole community needs to work together to figure out how to solve that. Thank you. Mr. Bibb, what say you? You know, Rick, uh, this is personal for me. Um, nearly five years ago, I lost my cousin Chris, who was brutally choked to death by his partner who suffered a mental health episode. And it took EMS nearly 40 minutes to show up. And what we've seen all across this country are cities doing their hard work of rethinking what policing should look like. I believe we should have a co-responder model in all of our five police districts. In the city of Cleveland in 2016, we did an 18-month pilot in the second district, and we showed that nearly 37% of the 911 calls did not warned, warrant an armed response from police. So it is, it is easy and practical because we actually have done it in the city of Cleveland, and we should follow what Columbus has done and Denver has done as well and execute a co-responder model in all of our five police districts. And as mayor, I also want to add a fourth option to 911 related to mental health. So we do have the right response for the right call because we can't continue to have a public safety only lens and model to solve the root cause of violent crime and trauma all across our city. Thank you. Staying with public safety, our next question comes to us from Sam Pierce from Collinwood. I don't feel safe calling the police for anything. I fear that when I call the police for, say, noise in the neighborhood or whatever, 
that I actually put my neighbors in danger by calling the police, that this could be an issue that um, causes the death of one of my neighbors. I'd like to know what you as mayor will do to make people like me feel safe again and rely on those that are supposed to be there to serve me. An emotional question, Mr. Jones. Uh, that, that really touches me. Thank you so much for that question. Well, first, we have to become a city where we are focused more on rehabilitation instead of incarceration. And as mayor, I want to create a mobile crisis unit that we understand that over 70% of phone calls are domestic issues. So we have to know that cops are not the only ones who should be solving these problems. Mental health experts are extremely important. But as mayor, I also want to say that if we're going to be successful, we have to understand that adding more cops may not be the solution. And ineffective spending may also not be the solution. We see that we have a general budget of $335 million. And we have added money to this every single year. But yet and still, the city of Cleveland has three times the national, uh, the national crime statistics. So more money is not going to be the solution. Community policing, working with the police. So I want to say, I want to say this is important as well, because our officers put their lives on the line every single day. Uh, we should not uh, criminalize great officers. There's a lot of great officers who come to work every single day to do a great job. And we need to make sure that they have the technology and equipment to do their job properly, along with making sure that mental health experts are with them. Thank you. Mr. Reed. Well, first of all, uh, you should feel safe calling the police. But second of all, I'm the only one on this stage that has put out on their website for the public to view a 10-point safety plan. A 10-point safety plan that even the plane dealer in the editorial this weekend said, Zachary has it right. Because when you're calling police, that is reactive. And what you're saying, young lady, we need a police force that is going to be proactive. And that's the reason I've said that we've got to start looking at public safety from a different lens. Let's stop looking at it from a criminal justice lens and let's start looking at it from what it is. It's a public, we need to start looking at it from a public health lens. And if we're dealing with the public health lens, then we're putting out violent interrupters, formerly incarcerated men and women, that are walking your neighborhood, walking your community, and talking to you so that we don't have to call the police on every single call. Go to ZachReed.com and look at the 10-point plan that even the plane dealer agrees with. Mr. DeBella. This is about accountability, accountability, accountability. Um, and Zach's largely right. You know, uh, most of our officers are great, but I'm supporting the Citizens for Safer CLE amendment to make the charter permanent. Um, we need a change in culture. Um, these incidents are tearing apart the fabric, not just of Cleveland, but of the whole country. So I also believe that we need to do a co-responder model, hire more mental health professionals, social workers, code enforcement. If you know you're calling for something that can be dealt with by a code enforcer, then you'll feel more comfortable calling. Uh, but this gets toward walking the beat, doing violence interruption, getting to know your local officer as though you would your male person. But in the end, accountability is the only thing that's going to change the world five, 10 years from now. 
Thank you. Our third and final question under the category of public safety comes to us from Chris Martin of Ohio City. Cleveland has more cops per resident than 93% of cities. Every resident of Cleveland pays $838 for cops every year. We've spent about $6,700 per person over the last decade on police misconduct settlements. Why do you think more cops is the answer? Mr. Kucinich, why do you think more cops is the answer? Well, I mean, that's been a central part of my campaign. I say that in the face of a siege of crime affecting so many of our neighborhoods, of drive-by shootings that are terrorizing communities, of gangs that ride wild from east side to west side on dirt bikes and ATMs shooting guns off, people want to be protected and they want to make sure that the tax dollars are already paying go to their safety, but we just don't have enough police. I've talked to police, they're, they're stretched right now. We need more people who can be involved, but they need to be better trained. They need to be racially sensitive, to answer the question from the woman from North Collinwood. They need to be trained in constitutional rights. They need to be better educated generally. But we, have to, we need more police to be able to fight uh, uh, homicides. We need people in a scientific investigation unit to be able to keep track of the crimes that have been committed and try to hunt down those criminals. Cleveland is one of the most violent cities in America right now. And until we are able to assure people that the public safety of Cleveland can be their, the first priority of government, people won't have confidence that the government can protect them. Mr. Kelly, 30 seconds. The issue of public safety is too important to be irresponsible. You can't throw out a number without any method of getting there. And it's eerily similar, if you look back to 1977, you're, you're, you're promoting 400 officers now. In 1977, you promised 200 new officers, but by August 31st, we were down 138, homicides were up 27%, firefighters were down 120, and the police went on strike. We have to be real about this. We can't just throw numbers, we can't politic on this issue. This is too important. We have to succeed on this. Quickly. You have been the co-mayor for seven years and you've let the police department go down. The reason why we have so fewer police now is directly because you as city council president has, haven't stepped in and demanded more police. Now look, everyone knows that when I was mayor I took on the banks and the banks punished the city for me not selling Muni Light. You cannot compare what happened in 77 to what's going on right now. Thank you. I appreciate Same. I would just welcome any opportunity. Uh, uh, Kev, Kev. I, Let's continue on. Thank you. Um, Senator, same question to you, the original question. Do you think we need more cops and why? When I am walking and knocking on the doors talking to voters about this election, I can tell you 99% of the time when I'm talking to a resident, the first question is, what are you going to do about the violence in our community? We are tired of the violence being in our community. And people are also saying that when they do call the police, most of the time they don't show up. That's why there are so many residents right now who are going out to get their CCW license because they don't feel safe in their own community. So I think, yes, we do need more 
train police officers on our streets working to reduce the violent crime that we have in the community. I also believe that as the mayor of the city of Cleveland, I need to continue to work with the state legislature to try to close the gun show loopholes that we have in the state of Ohio, get guns off the streets, continue to try to get my red flag legislation passed that will take guns away for those people with mental health conditions in the city of Cleveland. And just to answer the question to the lady before who was there, um, First of all, Quickly. for me, sensitivity training is important. Cultural competency, competency training is very important. And making sure that the police force looks like the people in the city of Cleveland. Far too long, we have people coming in our communities who don't understand what it's like, especially to be in the African-American community. That needs to change. And that is one way that we can help make people feel safer and reduce violence in our community. And we can get on with uh, uh, education and jobs that will also help us with violent crime. Thank, Thank you. you. All. Thank you all for the give and take. We do intend to have more. We're going to try and hustle through because we have a lot of subjects to get to. But thank you, and we will allow more of that. We're going to move on to racial equity right now. The first question in that category comes from Roy Hom of Asiatown. If you are elected mayor, what will you do to ensure that the Asian American community is represented in your administration? And what will you do to ensure that the AAPI community is protected from anti-Asian hate crimes and discrimination? Rayham, Mr. Kelly, what do you think? Uh, thank you. This is a very important issue that is uh, just has been brought to brought to light. I think what we need to do is, in terms of what will we do for the, in the administration, that's a matter of hiring. That's a matter of hiring a staff, a cabinet that looks like the city of Cleveland. I have also been working on instituting bystander training. It will be mandatory for employees of the city of Cleveland to have bystander training. I've been talking to our Department of Human Resources about how we can get that up and running, and it is in the works, but that would be something that we can do immediately to show this community that, that they are a valued member of, of the Cleveland community. Thank you. Mr. Bibb. You know, um, it's important for us to really ground this conversation in facts, and you know, it's great that the city of Cleveland has announced that racism is indeed a public health crisis, but we gotta move to action. So as mayor number one, I'm gonna hire a chief racial equity officer in my administration to make sure that every decision that we make inside City Hall is viewed through a racial equity lens. Secondly, I'm gonna require not only my cabinet, but every employee, including frontline city employees that undergo racial equity and inclusion training. Many of our community leaders all across this region have gone through that training, and that'll be a good step in the right direction for every employee inside my administration to understand the root causes of racism. And then, as Council President Kelly mentioned, this is about representation and hiring. And I want to make sure that I'm grounding my policymaking as the next mayor in the lived experiences of our residents. That includes members of the Asian American community, and I intend to make sure they are in my cabinet and are uh, getting visible leadership positions all across my administration. Thank you. Ross DiBella. Yeah, one of the first planks on my platform is to bring back uh, unfettered public comment to all city council meetings. Um, many people of many cultures and many neighborhoods are not heard right now or represented. Um, we've had you know, many discrimination cases uh, against all, all ethnicities and origins in our public health department. Um, if we hear like Greater Cleveland OCA, all AAPI advocacy, advocacy groups, if we let you talk to us and tell us, do we need to hire a cabinet position? Do we need to hire 
more people who speak this language or that dialect um, will be just fine, right? Then we'll work with HR, we'll start hiring where we need to hire. And we do need cultural sensitivity training uh, in all of our city departments, right? Ongoing bias training, and that would be the work we do. Thank you. Mr. Reed. I just want to say this. It's all well and good to say what's going to happen in your cabinet. It's all well and good to say what you're going to do. But if I look up on the stage, I think there were only three of us after the incident against the Asian community was out there with the Asian community doing their most perilous time in the city of Cleveland. That's what a mayor should be doing. Telling people you're going to put them in their cabinet, that's easy. Telling people what you're going to do with policy, that's easy. But the hard job is going out there with those individuals and showing. And everybody knows one thing about myself. They know I'm transparent. They know I'm out there on the front line. That's what that man wants to know. He wants to know when an issue is facing his community, will the mayor of the city of Cleveland go out there on that front line? And as I look up on this stage, I can literally look at only two other people that were out there with the Asian community on a rainy, cold day, on a Sunday, out there with that Asian community, and that's what that man wants to know. Allow me to ask the director to take a wide shot. I'd just like a show of hands who was there. More than, more than three. Thank you. Can I just say uh, something? Can I have a I'll rebuttal? I'll go to Sandra first, Justin, and then I'll get to you. Okay, first of all, if the mayor is going to deal with the issue of hate in our community, um, it doesn't have to be every time a camera shows up, because many of the people on this stage show up when a camera shows up. But the fact of the matter is, I have been working for the last 15 plus years, and if you add the rest of my time to this, over 30 years, dealing with issues of hate and crime for a very long time, I am not the type of person that only shows up when I'm going to get a, a sound bite on the camera. That's not what people are looking for. People are looking for you to solve issues. So you can stand up and say what you're going to stand up and say all day long, but if you don't put action behind those words, you're really not doing anything. And what the city needs is a mayor who is going to stand up and say hate will not be tolerated, not on my watch, and enforce it every single day. And this uh, laxy-daisy uh, training that we are having on a regular basis with people saying, we're making sure you're culturally competent and give you an hour training, that is not going to work. We have had hate in our country since before 16, the 1600s. And we've been dealing with those same racist policies for the longest. And just this year, since the pandemic happened, that's not when Asian people first started uh, facing hate. I'm going to stop you here because it, it is 30 seconds. Time, and I am the person to deal with it. I'm going to go ahead and take the, the prerogative here to allow others to speak. Yeah. But do please watch your 30 seconds. I promise Mr. Baby go next, but I will get to the others. I, I want to make this known. You don't need to spend your entire career as a career politician to fight for these issues from the streets to the suites, I've been fighting for diversity. I've been, I've been fighting for equity. I've been fighting to make sure that Cleveland can be a great city. And I've done this in my career as an executive and as an activist and as a civic leader in this community. And it's important to note that this is the kind of status quo thinking and perspective and leadership that the residents of the city of Cleveland are sick and tired of seeing. We can't afford more of the same. And it's that experience that has gotten to this, to this point. Thank you. Mr. Jones. You know, if you were to ask the Asian community who stood with them, as you know, I, as a councilman, uh, represent the largest Asian population in the city. Not only did I introduce the legislation, not only was I at the march and spoke, but I also supported the Asian businesses in the neighborhood. We did a major cash mob for an amazing restaurant there and helped support her because she was receiving the support. You know, as 
because she was receiving hateful calls. As mayor, what I plan to do is that racial inequity is solved by making sure that every group has a seat at the table. As mayor, we will do more business with every minority, right? We have to do more business. Economic opportunity is the thing that will destroy racial inequity. Thank you, and before we move on, Mr. Kucinich, last word. Uh, 20 years ago, in the United States Congress, I brought forth an idea to create a cabinet-level Department of Peace, and I want to bring this into Cleveland City Hall so that we can address these issues that are all over town, wherever there's violence or hate. That's, those are often a learned response. We need to change that response so we can actually use Cleveland as a place that can show the whole country that we can be a more peaceful city, a, more, a safer city. And as far as the questions of uh, equity, we need job equity, financial equity, and safety equity for people of all race, colors, and creeds. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to stick with the racial equity issue because it does obviously have interest here on the panel. A question that came to us frequently in our survey, but not necessarily from one person on tape. So we've combined this. I'll give you the question. With the racial divide in Cleveland, the new awareness of discrimination and inequities after the George Floyd murder, the divide in housing and many other circumstances, what are your plans to solve the age-old racial tension that permeates this city? And Mr. Reed, I'll go to you first. Well, first of all, let me, let me say this. Attacking me doesn't solve the problem. Let me be clear. Attacking me does not solve the problem. And there's no substitute for experience. So when you talk about me going out on that front line and doing what I do, because I listen to the people in the city of Cleveland. So when you talk about that question and, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I've been doing when I was a councilman for 17 years and got elected four times. When Ms. Jones called me on the phone, I didn't just call her back. I went and talked to her on her front porch. When Mr. Smith needed help on his street, I went and I talked to him on his back porch. So we can, we can continue to say what, and, and, and continue to try to attack me and what I've done. But my record speaks for itself. And the people in Mount Pleasant and Union Miles and Mill Creek, they've spoken on four occasions and said the best person to be the council person in this war is Zach Reed. And that's what it's all about. It's about transparency and being out there on the front line with the people and the citizens of the city of Cleveland. Rebuttal. Thank you. Rebuttal. 30 seconds. First of all, I was not pointing out any particular candidate on this particular stage. But if a hit dog hollers, evidently it means something. Just like each and every one of you, we have our own way of handling the business for the residents of the city of Cleveland. I'm on the front line as well, and I have been there since I have been a corrections officer, probation officer, and parole officer. And I don't always have to be at a rally. I'm in the homes of residents. They are calling me on my cell phone. That's your they 30. are calling me on my, uh, on my home phone. They are calling my office to get issues addressed because they are tired of lip service. So whoever feels hurt by my statement, that wasn't what I meant to be. But I'm calling it like I see it. Thank you, Senator. I am the one to get the job done. Thank you. We're going to go back to the full one-minute question with Mr. Jo uh, Mr. Kucinich, rather. When we're talking about uh, racial equity, uh, we should be talking about job equity. As mayor of the city of Cleveland last time, half of my key appointments went to people in the black community. Uh, we need to be talking about financial equity. Look at how the banks have redlined the city. 
There are city neighborhoods where people can't even get a loan on their property, and even though their property's in good shape. And we know what the banks did. They exploited people, particularly on the east side, peddling no-doc and low-doc loans, the people who then ended up losing their homes because of the bank's uh, involvement. We need, uh, as a mayor, remember, I was chairman of a congressional investigative subcommittee that went after these people involved in a subprime meltdown. So I know exactly what they do. I'm going to insist that the banks stop any redlining practices, loan money into communities where they're making money, and make sure that the resources of this community go to help all the people. And that's a question of racial equity right now. It's access to capital. And as mayor, I have the ex I'll have the experience to be able to make sure we get money into communities that need it. Thank you. Mr. Jones, what's you know, the, your plan to solve the age-old racial tension here? Well, well, first, to the residents, I just want you to understand that just because someone said they have experience, that's not enough. I mean, I know people who have been doing the same thing for a long time the wrong way. The fact is, is that the city of Cleveland needs to go in a different direction. We must. We have to stop playing to the fears of people. We are not an east side and a west side. We are one Cleveland. And I think that that's what has to show. We have to bring the city services to the community. Right now, there's a part of the community that believes that one side is getting more. No, we have to bring city services to Cam's Corner and the corner of Huff. And as mayor, I want to push for, an, for equity, not just in words, but in action, in how we do business, diversity with inside City Hall, right? diversity in regards to uh, inspiring inst other institutions within inside our city to also have racial equity within their positioning. But it can't just be words. And being on the front line is nothing wrong with that. We could be on the front line and behind as long as we are there for all people. We have to come together and work together. That's the only way we can move this city forward. We're going to move on to the category of racial equity now, from racial equity to health equity. Our first question comes to us from Zainab Pixler of Detroit Shoreway. What are your plans to address the root causes of food apartheid in the city of Cleveland? She referred to food apartheid there, which is defined as highlighting the racial and discriminatory political structures that impact food access and control. This is slightly different than the more commonly heard food deserts we've heard about for some 30 years now because there is an inferred intentionality. So she wants to know plans to address the root causes of food apartheid. Ross DeBella. Well, I think this gets to poverty and accounting for every penny of our tax dollars and how we divvy out that money, right? So the, the immediate answer to the question is devote some of this $510 million ARPA money to get people to be the ones who solve this problem, right? Community gardens, CSAs, grocery stores, um, but it's gotta be a fiscal priority. And so that would start in January, we don't know how much of that money will be left at that time. I think the second half of it is to be used down the road, but this would be toward giving grants to people who will create for their neighbors on their street. Council President Kelly. Thank you, very important question. And let me make this clear, when I'm mayor, your health outcomes and your life expectancy will not be determined by your zip code. As it gets to food apartheid, food insecurity, we're not asking the right questions when we think about health equity. In the neighborhood that I represent, Old Brooklyn, we took the step of making public health a community development issue. 
outside of bricks and mortar, outside of business development. And what we did is we started with the community health assessment. And the questions we asked weren't, when did you see the doctor last? What is your health plan? The questions we asked were, do you have access to fresh food? Do you live within a 10-minute walk of a park? Do you feel safe in your neighborhood? Do you have a job? Do you know your neighbors? These are the questions that we used to build community projects. That's what led to the Old Brooklyn Farmers Market. We were very surprised to find the number of families that were on SNAP in Old Brooklyn, but we responded. We responded because of the outreach that we did. We realized that we did have a food security issue in Old Brooklyn. We responded with a fresh food farmer's market every Saturday. These are the types of decisions, these are the types of steps we need to take to make sure that we are really addressing health equities and we're, not, we're looking at the whole problem and we're not looking for quick answers and, and addressing one small part of the issue. This is a serious issue in the city and we need to have a holistic approach that has a neighborhood health equity lens for everything we do. Councilman Reed, you represent an area that's seen supermarkets come and go. How do you keep that from happening? You keep it by ensuring that the neighborhood, the community, first of all, is safe. People make a decision to move into a city or out of the city based on a number of things, but one of the things at the top of that list is safety. And what we've been able to do in Mount Pleasant was to attract Save-A-Lot and Aldi's into our community simply because we made it safer. As councilman, I put up over 125 surveillance cameras. As councilman, I had police officers walking the beat. As councilman, once again, I was out there talking to the residents and the merchants in, the, in, in Mount Pleasant and in Union Miles to find out what did you want? What did you need? How can we help you? That's what a mayor needs to be doing. I am the most transparent elected, uh, former elected official in the entire city of Cleveland. So, so there's no substitute for the experience that I've shown over the last 17 years as a council person. That's how we did it in Mount Pleasant. That's what I'm going to do across the city of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Justin Bibb, what would you do? Food insecurity uh, and food deserts is a major crisis in this city. You know, my grandma, uh, who, who just turned 92 a couple weeks ago, she has to take probably two buses to get to a grocery store that sells fresh fruits and vegetables. And that's the same story in many parts of our city. So number one, we actually need to fully fund our health department and have a targeted focus on food policy to figure out how can the city of Cleveland eradicate the barriers that exist from a policy and structural level to address this need. The other thing we should be doing is leveraging this investment with the Opportunity Corridor. Instead of prioritizing a police headquarters and an asphalt plant, thank God we killed that part of the deal, it should be leveraged as a food hub, investing in organizations like the Cleveland Kitchen Company to really embrace the food economy that can help eradicate the food desert issue we have, but also bring good paying jobs to those forgotten neighborhoods. That'll be my strategy and plan as the next mayor of Cleveland. Mr. Jones. You know, you can't talk about this without not mentioning uh, the MVP during the pandemic, which is the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. I mean, they did an absolute phenomenal job in taking care of tens and thousands of people. Uh, they're getting ready to build a new headquarters that we need to make sure that a part of this $511 million go towards assisting them. The second thing I want to say is, the first thing I did when I became councilman was created a food distribution center in my, in my community. Over 1,000 people a month we feed. Why is that important? Because when you talk about food, in order to understand this, you have to know what it feels like to be hungry. I can remember living in the Salvation Army and living in homeless shelters in the city of Cleveland and knowing what it feels like to be hungry. You can't come up with a solution 
unless you know what it feels like to have that pain in your stomach. So the reality is that not only dealing with food apartheid will feed people, but it also helps our children. I remember being a young person going to Case Elementary and MLK Middle School and only going there because I can get some lunch. You know, I mean, children can't even pass their tests if they're hungry. So food is a major issue, and that's why in our community we do our distribution center and we support, uh, we support local farming in our, in our neighborhoods. We're going to move on to the next question, but Mr. Kucinich, I will, I will get to you first. We're going to change questions, but stay within the topic. This question comes to us from India Robertson of the Glenville neighborhood. Infant mortality is a tragic statistic in our community. As mayor, how will you put strategies in place to help with the infant mortality crisis? Obviously not food, but still health. Mr. Kucinich. Infant mortality is what she suggested, yes, but you were, you know, you were looking uh, at food. This, uh, this is a heartbreaking condition in the city of Cleveland where we have one of the highest infant mortality rates in the country. And the paradox is we also have some of the best health systems in the country. And we've learned recently that some of the health care dollars that the community should have been anticipating would be put into it to deal with issues like infant mortality and lead poisoning have not been getting into the community. I expect to have a very good cooperative relationship with the head of our major hospitals to show how they can reach into the communities and communicate with people, let people know about services that are available, make their services available, make sure that, uh, that uh, maternal and infant care becomes something that Cleveland can be known for instead of being uh, a, a tragedy. So, you know, we can do something about this specifically because we are Cleveland. We can do this because we are Cleveland, because we have such great medical resources. You only need a mayor who's ready to reach out to that community and say, here's how we do it. Thank you. Thank you. Senator, I know that you're the only person who didn't speak on this topic. Didn't mean to slight you. Go right ahead. No, that's okay. Thank you so much for the question. Um, under the leadership of the Ohio Legislative Black Caucus, we have been working to address the issue of infant mortality for the last several years. And we were actually successful in getting a study committee and a group of people together from across the state of Ohio to come up with policies and procedures to reduce those challenges that women have. I was responsible for some of the funding that the university hospitals have to address the issue of infant mortality. We were able to fund birthing beautiful babies to make sure they helped address some of the issues that we have in place. And see, we didn't just put our policies in place and did not fund them. We put millions of dollars behind the policies to make sure that communities like Cleveland have the ability to continue to address the issue. Now, I also want to say this. My father died when I was in the third grade, and my mother raised seven children on her own. And she had to feed all of us with uh, one little Social Security check. So we had the basics, and I know and understand what it's like to be hungry on a regular basis. My mother made sure we ate before she ate, and that's why I have fought so hard to make sure that we get rid of food deserts. I was one of the main people to help rid all urban farm get started, not only help them get started, but help them address some shortfalls that they had with the city of Cleveland. Now, people come to the state of Ohio, come to the legislature and say, hey, we need funding because there are not a lot of people that are purchasing food. After the first 
week or so of the month, most rest, uh, most uh, grocery stores say they don't have a lot of business. So they ask for funding wrap from quickly. the state of Ohio. I'll wrap that up. I help to fight for that. But I can say this, if we want to make sure grocery stores stay in our community, we need to make sure people have jobs that they can actually go to the store and purchase the necessary food that they need. Thank Mr. you. Mr. Kelly, thank you. Mr. Kelly, we can't talk about infant mortality without mentioning first year Cleveland. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Neither can I. Um, this was the first major issue I took on as council president. And I think that this is not a political issue to me. This is, this is personal as the father of five daughters. I can't imagine the pain of somebody who loses their baby before their first birthday. So I almost think that the term infant mortality has become too, too sanitized. We need to call this what this is. This is, a, this, is a, this is a health outcome that should be shameful to this city. It is shameful. We are, we've made progress, but we need to keep going. What I realized when I started digging into this issue was that there was a lot of good people doing a lot of good things in this area, but they weren't doing so in any coordinated fashion, and they weren't funded at the level that was going to move the needle. And that's why we formed First Year Cleveland. We collaborated with the major health university. We, we, we collaborated with the philanthropic community, the community health providers. We had, we had meeting after meeting to build First Year Cleveland. The whole goal was what do we need to, to bring people together to rid this community of this shameful condition. And First Year Cleveland has made progress. We have done, we're moving the needle in infant mortality. But I know I'm over time, but I have to get this in because it's important everything we've talked about. What, into more, what Cle First Year Cleveland revealed when we started digging into the numbers is that if you take away some of the presumptions of why we had this terrible rate of infant mortality, not getting prenatal care, the health of the mother, everything, you strip all that away, there was one thing that determined whether that baby was going to live to their first birthday, and that was the race of the mother. And that is something that we declared as First Year Cleveland, we were the first umbrella organization to make that statement. That's what led to the 400 years of racism conference. And that's where when we talk about racism as a public health, we have to remember that this is undergirding a lot of our public health uh, crises. And really, First Year Cleveland was a first step towards addressing infant mortality. But again, this needs to be a clear desk moment. We need, to be, we need to deal with this every single day until we do not live in a community where we have a disproportionate number of babies that die before their first birthday. Thank you, Councilman. Last on this is going to be Mr. Jones. I'm going to give you the full minute. Thank you so much. You know, it's just so interesting to hear, uh, you know, people wake up now. Uh, this has been an issue for a long time. Racism has been a public health crisis for a long time. And the fact is, let's be more specific than just saying infant mortality. Let's say black infant mortality. That's a whole nother issue. And I think that this is something that we are even afraid to talk about. You, 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 if you want to talk about black infant mortality, you cannot discuss it without talking about structural racism and the impact that it has. So as mayor, what I would like to see in this city, if we're going to attack this issue, is I plan to increase the amount of black women doulas in our city. Black women doulas. Why? Because people who are going through pain also need the solutions. We don't need people from the outside telling us what we need to do to make our situation better. We understand it clearly. And Ward 7 is where the headquarters of Birth and Beautiful Communities is. And I appreciate uh, Senator uh, Williams for supporting such an amazing initiative ran by uh, President Jasmine Long. It's a very important conversation. We cannot talk about black infant mortality without talking about structural racism. And to go back, Rick, we cannot talk about crime 
without talking about poverty. Poverty is the greatest crime. Crime is just a symptom of the bigger issue. Thank you, sir. We're going to move on. I'll get to you, though. We'll move on. You're watching the first of two mayoral debates coordinated by IdeaStream Public Media and the City Club of Cleveland. We're dealing with a very specific set of topics and questions in this session. Others will come next week. As we move into questions now on housing, we begin by hearing from Mildred Dixon, now of downtown Cleveland, but who has experienced the difficulty of being unhoused. What are the specific plans of each candidate to get people housed off the street into permanent housing and even out of shelters because uh, being in a shelter is not a home. A shelter is a transitional spot for people to um, organize their lives, uh, get their financing together, and to move to something that they can call their own. Mr. Bibb, I'm very aware you've not gone first in any questions, so go right ahead. Yeah, and, and this, this question is timely. I was just um, at the men's shelter on Lakeside Avenue at 2100 Lakeside uh, a couple days ago. Um, and saw the challenge of this issue firsthand uh, and also spent some time with Frontline Solutions in Ohio City. And for me, number one, we need to do a better job in the city of supporting more access to permanent supportive housing to better support our homeless population to get a leg up and have a pathway to having a life with, with dignity. That's essential. Secondly, our building and housing department must be more bold and aggressive on cracking down on predatory landlords. Uh, I just uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, did a press conference attacking Holton Wise, which is calling many communities in the city, particularly in the east side, slum communities and war zone communities, which is undermining our ability to, to attract real investments to better support more affordable and workforce housing. And I think it's time for us to truly reexamine and rethink our abatement policy to better have incentive to, to support more affordable and workforce housing all across this city. Councilman Reed, as as we look at transitional housing, shelters. How do you handle that as mayor? I think you come down to what I said in my initial statement. It has to, we have to become, have to get a sense of urgency on this issue. It has to be a sense of urgency. When Mayor Michael White became mayor of the city of Cleveland, he turned these vac those vacant lots into home ownership. And that's what we're not doing. And, 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 and that's the problem that we're having across this city. There is no sense of urgency. There's no sense of urgency when it comes to infant mortality. That's the reason it continues. There's no sense of urgency when it comes to these food deserts. That's why it continues. There's no sense of urgency when it comes to the violence in our city of Cleveland, and that's why it continues. There's no sense of urgency. Look at the facts, that the fact that there's not been one new house built in Ward 1 and in Ward 2 on the southeast side of the city of Cleveland in the last four years, but yet houses on one side of the city are going to the skies. That is a problem. And that's the reason that young lady is talking about this problem of, uh, of homelessness. Because there's no sense of urgency for the leadership in this city. That the problems that are facing the people of the city of Cleveland, as I said, the violence, the poverty. And what I'm saying is a mayor needs to show what Mayor Michael R. White showed, that we can turn those vacant lots into home ownership. And especially if you look at the fact that African-American home ownership if we're going to build a middle-class African-American community in this city, we've got to get more people of color owning homes. And as mayor of the city of Cleveland, I'm going to do the same thing as Mayor Michael R. White. I'm going to show the urgency that is needed to do home ownership in this city, across the city of Thank Cleveland. Thank you. Let me give Mr. DeBello a minute before I get to the rebuttals. 
Thank you, Rick. Yeah, we need to put our land banks to use employing young adults and even high schoolers in those neighborhoods, getting them the trade background, paying them $15 an hour while they train, while they build, then we are actually finally in the city of Cleveland building from the bottom up as opposed to the way we do business now while increasing the housing stock. We need to do this building affordable, create public housing, put doors near transit. Um, we have built less homes since 1980 than we built total in the decade of the 1940s. That's unacceptable. We have a duty to rectify this. Uh, we need to work with civic-minded developers where it's not about the maximum commoditization of land, right? It's about maximum utility to residents and turning a profit second. And lastly, we have to get rid of the 15-year tax abatement, start from scratch. Thank you. 30 seconds, I mean it, 30 seconds, guys. Mr. Percentage to Mr. Jones. Uh, like some of the people on this panel, I understand what it's like to be homeless. My family lived in 21 different places by the time I was 17, including a couple cars because we had trouble finding rent as the family grew. But because of that experience, I understand very keenly how Clevelanders have suffered in losing their homes. I pointed out earlier, you know, in the black community during the subprime meltdown, thousands of people lost their homes on the east side. All the wealth that was there was gone with it when they lost their homes. And the banks got away with that. That's your time. And as mayor, I intend to bring a reckoning and make sure the money gets back into the black community that Monsieur was taken Jones. out. Thank you so much. You know, I, I experienced living in a shelter. Um, I experienced all forms of housing. If you want to bring solutions, you have to understand it. I was unsheltered. I was in CMHA. I was a renter. I lived with my family. And now I am a homeowner. You know, as mayor, I will work with Secretary Marsha Fudge, and we will establish affordable housing in our city. That is one of the ways that we can bring down violence. When people own their homes, they have a different understanding of their community. We want, we want more renters as well, don't get me wrong, but we want to increase home ownership, especially affordable housing. Thank you. We're going to stay in the topic, but we're going to move on to the next question. This is Arthur Hargate of Little Italy. What will you do to assure that neighborhoods have a voice and are on an equal footing with powerful and influential property developers from outside the community who build what's profitable to them, but not what the community wants or needs? We'll go with Councilman Kelly and then Senator Williams. Thank you. These developments are, are local levels and people have a lot of power. It's really a matter of making sure that people understand the power that they do have. If you have an engaged group of citizens that are organized, we have design review, we have planning commission, it's got, you know, the, the council member can be your advocate. There should never be a time when a development is placed in a community when it is not wanted by the community. We've seen that the activism stopped many developments over the time, whether it's uh, you know, uh, in, in Tremont and all the, the different developments when people come together. I was just walking, knocking on doors on, on Lake Avenue and there's an issue with their sidewalks. Well, people are organized, people are loud, and it's really making sure, I don't know that there's a, a I think the problem that we have is one of making sure that people understand what avenues they have to speak their minds about different housing and land use events that are happening. And I think we can all do a better job of educating people and engaging the community. Senator. 
Thank you very much for the question. Uh, listen, as the mayor of the city of Cleveland, my administration will work directly with the CDCs. The CDCs will always be at the table. And beyond the community development corporations being at the table, the residents will be at that table to determine what will be built in their community. I believe the residents have been in the community for a very long time and nothing should happen without them. And let me also say this, for all of these developments that are taking place, not only in my neighborhood, but in neighborhoods across our city, one of the things that residents are complaining to me about is the fact that they cannot afford their property taxes. And from what I hear, property taxes are about to go up again. We are pricing people out of the market and we have to stop that. Residents have been loyal to Cleveland and we need to make sure they are protected if they want to live in the city of Cleveland. And I will say this, I have been helping families get out of living in their cars and living in uh, uh, hotels. Uh, where they can pay a little bit of rent for a very long time. I have several families that I've helped. I've worked with homeowners to reduce the rent so that those people can have some place to live, a roof over their head with their children. And I will also say this, that's why the $150 million that I just brought back from Columbus, Ohio can be used. It can be used to make that's sure that we tear down homes that are not stable and build affordable housing units on that site. Half a million dollars has already come into the county. Senator, to start that's your that. time. Thank you so much. One rebuttal, 30 seconds to Mr. Jones, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue this conversation with another question. One rebuttal here from you Mr. Know, Jones. I, I, we have to, the residents' voices have to be heard. And I, I, I you know, the council president is, a, is somebody that I admire and respect, but he has been the biggest obstacle in regards to public comment and hearing from the residents. I mean, for example, you just had a progressive field deal that, listen, I, I'm not uh, for or against until we realize what the residents want to hear. But the fact is that there was no public comment. We have to have public comment. The voices of the residents must be heard. And just to say real quick, that $511 million, a percentage of that dollars as mayor will go to help fix our senior homes who are living in dilapidated homes where roofs are falling and porches are falling. We need to support the residents who have been taking care of our community. I know what I just said, but he did mention Mr. Kelly, so you do get 30 seconds. Yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, I appreciate that you admire me. Uh, you're just kind of wrong on your facts. Um, I am going this, the 18th, I've forwarded rules to Cleveland City Council to change our process to allow public comment. In the progressive field, it's been a long time, but I'm the first council president to do it and, I, and I'm pushing it forward and it's gonna happen. The progressive field deal, that hasn't come. There's gonna have all kinds of hearings and I think you know that. It's gotta to go to planning, it's gotta have review. This is at the very beginning of it. It's gonna have plenty of public input. To say that that, was, that that is done, I didn't vote on it. Did you vote on it? We didn't vote on it and nothing's happened yet. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna introduce one more videotape into the housing question and then go to the, to the respondents here. This is Yvonne Cawthorn of Glenville. What is or what will be your plan to, using mostly the funds currently budgeted for upkeep of vacant and abandoned land, turn our many life-sapping, resource-zapping, money-pit-type lands called brownfields into sustainable economic green fields. I like her writing style. Ross DeBello, you go first on this one. Well, this actually relates to the prior question, right? We've gotta be in control of what the development of these brownfields is gonna be. So 
to answer the gentleman and the lady's question, we're gonna strip political power from those developers. We're gonna bring the campaign finance limits way down, right? $250 per pack, $750 per person. That dictates policy, high rises, what gets developed where. And those brownfields, many greedy folk that will not be sleeping within our borders tonight, they got plans for them. They wanna make money off them. We just wanna better the community for our kids, clean our place, create affordable transit-oriented living. So we have to be in charge of how those brownfields are developed. We have to take that political power away. Thank you, yes, I see the hands. Mr. Reed first. I think it just comes down to the fact that we've got to work with Congress um, announced Secretary Fudge to work out ways that we are going to turn these brownfields and turn these vacant lots once again into productive uh, uh, things in our community. I mean, just think about it. I fought very hard for years against the county land bank because if you just look and see, the vast majority of houses that were being demolished were on the east side of the city of Cleveland. And what I would say to them was, look at it. The fact that a vacant lot doesn't send their child to a public school, a vacant lot doesn't go buy food at the corner store, a vacant lot doesn't send their child to Sunday school on a Sunday morning. And therefore, what we've got to do is we've got to show a sense of urgency that is going to say that in these wards and in these communities that have all these vacant lots, we've got to turn them into productive areas in the city to bring back families and, as I said, home ownership. Because I, I, I agree with Councilman uh, Bashir. If we're going to eradicate and reduce the violence, we've got to reduce the poverty in the city of Cleveland. Poverty and violence go hand in hand. Thank you. Mr. Bibb. You know, it, it, it pains me to say this, but we live in one of the most anti-democratic cities in America. It wasn't council leadership that had the broad idea for public comment. It was activists like Nora Kelly, Paula Camp, Jessica Trevisano, who fought on the front lines to make this a reality, to bring public comment to the city of Cleveland for the first time in nearly 100 years. The other thing I want to say is this. Regardless of how you feel about these issues, minimum wage, vote denied. Quicken Loans deal, vote denied. People don't trust government because career politicians think they have the answer. The residents have the answer. And that's the kind of leadership we need to bring moving forward in this city. And as we think about how to better activate these abandoned lots, we need to have a proactive strategy to make sure we're using all the stimulus coming down from President Biden to activate our brownfields for more job hubs, particularly in our forgotten neighborhoods and think differently about how do we leverage solar energy and build solar farms in these abandoned lots so we can finally get our reliance off of carbon emissions and move CPP to the green economy for a green, prosperous future for Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you. Uh, because he did mention your name, Mr. Jones, you do get 30 seconds. I, I just want to say to my, my fraternity brother, you know, I've been working on public comment since I got into council. The very first year that I got into council, I've been working on public comment. And I appreciate all of those amazing groups that joined us because you know what? It, it feels, you know, you know, people talk about experience. You don't have to be in council for a long time to see the problem. I was there for one term and already see that there's a serious change that needs to be made. 
And you also have to have council members that stand with you. I think that's very, very important. You know, what I did in Ward 7 was created the Huff Community Land Trust. Time, sir. The Huff Community Land Trust. And community members are on the board, and they determine what development happens in their neighborhoods. Thank you. We're going to move, we're going to to move on question. to the final category here because we do have a time limit. We're shifting our focus to government transparency, and I promise all of you will get a chance to talk on this topic. We've heard from people in with an eagerness to engage, really, but a concern that they don't have full access to records or representatives. We're going to begin by hearing from Leslie Kuba Bednar of the Jefferson neighborhood. If you become mayor, how will you build, repair, and sustain the relationship between city administration and city council? And again, everybody will have a chance to talk on this subject. Mr. Reed, you go first here. Well, when, when you talk about the transparency in government, I mean, there, there's no better way in transparency in government of what I've already said in initiative. I said it the last time I ran, and I'm saying it again this time. I am going to open up the mayor's office every Saturday to the citizens in the city of Cleveland to come down and talk to the mayor personally. They should not have to go through the bureaucracy of an inefficient city government that's going on right now. I've said it once, and I continue to say it. If the CEO of Eaton, Cleveland Clinic, or Sherwin-Williams wanted to see the mayor, they would make a phone call and they would get to see the mayor. The question is, why can't Ms. Smith that lives on 154? She's got a problem. And she's worked the system and the system has not worked. She wants to talk to the mayor. She should be able to talk to the mayor. Why can't Mr. Smith that lives over in West Park, who has a, similar, who has a small problem in his regard, but is big in his mind? And he wants to come talk to the mayor. So when I'm mayor of the city of Cleveland, record requests that come from the media, it's not going to be Stonewall. Isn't it amazing that when they want to let you know they did something good, that record request and, and, and that item gets out there quick, fast, and in a hurry. Rap, but please. but okay. when the citizens want to see the public record, they walk the line very slowly. When I'm mayor of the city of Cleveland, transparency is going to be at the top of my agenda. Senator, how about when you're the mayor? When I'm the mayor, uh, the city of Cleveland will have a one-stop shop for all residential uh, consumer issues. Uh, no longer will you have to wait like I did for a year to get my light bulb replaced. Um, if you have a problem with the city of Cleveland, you will have one place to go. We might have a couple, but you can call us on the, on the telephone. You will be able to get us on an app, on the website. You can come down and you will speak to us in person. You will be treated with respect when you come to City Hall because City Hall is not my City Hall, it's the residents. City Hall. And as far as working with my colleagues, let me tell you something. It's not about Ward 1, Ward 5, Ward 10. It's all of our responsibilities to make sure that the city of Cleveland works for everybody in the city. But I'm going to go back real quick to talk about brownfields because that's my favorite thing in my few minutes. When I started out, I talked about the fact that I just brought home a half a billion dollars. $350 million of those dollars went to clean up those brownfields that I have been tired of looking at for a very long time. $150 million will go to get rid of these abandoned properties. We should be making sure that when businesses want to move into the city of Cleveland, they don't have to wait decades in order to make sure they can do business with the city of Cleveland. If a business wants to expand in the city of Cleveland, trust me, they're going to have enough parcels to expand in the city. And I'm also going after Time, businesses please. in other states because I want to attract those businesses to the city. We will move at the speed of business in the city of Cleveland. So brownfields, they are ready to be gone because under my administration, they're done. 
Thank We're going to move on to the next question, but Mr. Kucinich, I promise you'll be first on this one. Let's roll the tape of Giovanni Garrison from Slavic Village. I would like to know how will you as mayor show transparency and accountability when it comes to community block grant dollars and how those funds are distributed within the neighborhoods? So block grants or relationships, Mr. Kucinich? Uh, you have to start with people in the neighborhoods, and that means actually soliciting people door to door to come to meetings. But I just want to say this issue of transparency is one of the behind the scenes issues that is so important to the people of Cleveland because let's, let's, let's just look at what's happened in the last few months here in Cleveland. More recently, $435 million being discussed about progressive field, but it's, the deal's like a black box. We don't know anything about it. It's been announced, everyone agrees on it, but we, don't, we haven't seen any numbers. There's a lack of transparency. This tragic case of a city councilman who was actually stealing money by putting in for vouchers or for $1,200 a month that he shouldn't have been able, that he couldn't prove that he actually you know, spent. 383 different federal counts were involved in that case and city council leadership goes, duh, we don't know nothing. Now there's something wrong with transparency there. And, and finally, uh, this idea of not having uh, public comment at city council, they've been rolling the public for months and years on this. No transparency, people don't have a voice. Well, when I'm mayor, people have a voice. I made sure that the first hour of every day people were able to call me directly as mayor to cut through the bureaucracy. I did that 44 years ago. Thank you. Mr. Kelly, I was going to go to you anyway, but he took a shot at you, so take the full minute. I'm going to take, if I, if I could take minute 30 with take, rebuttal no, plus. No, all Just right, give you the minute. Right. Nice try, though. <laughs> really nice try. <laughs> okay, very good, very good. Let me start with uh, the, the issue with Ken Johnson. Um, the, I don't review these, the expense reports. The moment I found out about it, I stopped it. The moment I found out about it, I called in an independent auditor to review our processes. And we can't go back and fix the past, but we can absolutely be sure that the next person that tries to cheat this, the residents of the city of Cleveland will not be successful in that area. Uh, Mr. Kucinich mentioned uh, public comment. I seem to recall that you were a council person at a certain point and you were mayor, and I don't remember that being part of what you did in either of those positions. I actually did it. I actually got it done. You're the council you president. There, Where's your uh, you know, public um, comment? Um, Come on. We, I, I don't recall you ever instituting Will or you talking have a public about comment I've already, now I've already done tell it. Tell the people I've, of Cleveland. Yeah, it's already done. But I, tell you know, the people of Cleveland. You know, you, you're saying the same things you did in the 70s. We saw that movie. It doesn't end well. It's the same stuff. You were in council in the mayor, and you failed to do this. End you would have saved, now, you wouldn't have saved Muni Light. Moving back to... <laughs> Yeah, it's I'll, like I'll the, give you the 30 seconds. Okay. Go ahead. And on the uh, on, on Muni Light, you know, you're promising people a 10% uh, rate cut. Seems to me in 1977, you promised a 25% rate cut. It just never happened. So you can say whatever you want. You now, know, if I can yeah, get I the transparency in government, page book that uh, yeah, would, I know it's a real it's a, a real winner. Rick, if I can just get to the issue of transparency. Uh, real simple, public records are the people's records. This is what people are entitled to. When I'm mayor, I'm gonna institute an open data model. There's a way to do that. It just takes a little bit of money and a little bit of will, and we can get that done. But open okay. data is gonna be a policy I, I champion. We're gonna go there. to the last videotape question here. I promise I'll get to you. Daniel Ortiz lives in Lakewood, but works here in the city. Would you support a participatory budgeting process to engage and center the concerns of Cleveland residents impacted by the COVID crisis? And would you let the people decide how to use a portion of the American Rescue Plan funds 
for a just recovery. Ross, you actually mentioned part of that earlier, so it fits right in. You had your hand up. I know you wanted to answer on this one. Go ahead. Yeah, and it fits right into Giovanni's question right before this, right? This is why I'm running, to get an accounting of our tax dollars, community development block grant dollars, uh, the ARPA dollars. You know, my income taxes went up from 2 to 2.5%. My property taxes went up from $3,200 to $3,900 in one year. Now I'm not getting recycling, right? We're not getting plowing. We're not getting paving. You're not getting uh, ambulance responses. I don't know what I am getting. So I went out and got 4,000 signatures to get on the ballot. So we're going to up our technology game, do a public ledger, and me and my neighbors on Miramede get to see where every penny goes, if I become mayor. Now, these guys are traditional politicians, so they're well-funded, they'll do what their donors ask to them, but Sherwin-Williams, whoever we give our money to, right, we demand to see the books. Mr. Bibb, last answer today. Yeah, I, I would say the last two questions speak to this culture of complacency that's a cancer in our city. Uh, and we need to do everything in our power to take this moment and make it a movement to ensure that resident voice is a key part of every decision we make at City Hall beyond just an election cycle. Absolutely, I will support participatory budgeting, uh, not only with the American Rescue Plan dollars, I want to allocate 30 million of, of that funding for participatory budgeting, but in the budget process come 2022, we should be using participatory budgeting to ensure that residents have a seat at the table because your budget is a reflection of your values. And I want to make sure as a next mayor, your values are represented in every decision I make as your mayor. We do have to move on now because it is time for closing remarks. 90 minutes goes so fast. The order here will be different from the opening for the candidates. You have 60 seconds again. We'll begin with Council President Kevin Kelly. Thank you, Rick. And I want to thank everybody who put this together tonight. This is a time-honored tradition, and I'm honored to be here. And I want to thank my, my fellow candidates uh, for, for participating tonight. I hope that the viewers have gotten a sense that there are serious issues facing our city. We're at a crossroads, and this is no time to go backwards, and it's no time for on-the-job training. We need to make sure that we get this right. This is the most important election of our lifetimes. We need a serious candidate with a serious plan. This is not the time for theatrics. This is not the time for platitudes. This is the time for serious policymaking. Every candidate throughout the course of this election is going to talk about change. The question is, isn't whether change is needed. The question is, who knows how to make change? Who knows how to collaborate? Who knows how to build coalitions? And who knows how to get the job done? That's what I'm going to bring to the mayor's office. Competent, responsible, experienced government on day one. Thank you. Thank you. State Senator. Thank you very much. I want to start by answering the last question. Let me just say this. Under my administration, we will have a fiscal office and we will update our technology so that every budget, every fiscal budget that we have, every dollar that we spend will be available for every resident or person from outside of the city of Cleveland to see. Residents will be able to come in and have their say on what we do with the city of Cleveland's money. And you will be able to change policy through the legislative process to do that. Now let me just say this. We are at a crossroads in the city of Cleveland. This election is not just about the present. 
This is about the future for our children and our grandchildren. This is about hiring a leader who knows and understands what Cleveland needs. This is about a leader who is going to deliver safer streets. This is about a leader who is going to deliver a quality educational system for people. This is about a leader who is going to make sure economic development opportunities are for everyone in the city of Cleveland. I am that leader. I am the woman who can deliver for the city of Cleveland. I have done it before and I will continue to do it as your mayor. I hope you will visit my website at williamsforcleveland.com. Uh, volunteer, donate, and let me know what you think uh, about what we need in the city Thank of you, Cleveland. Senator. Thank you so much. Councilman Bashir Jones. Thank you so much for the invitation. This has been absolutely amazing. I just want to say thank you to all of my volunteers to everyone out there who's been praying for me, to every person who has assisted us in this campaign. I gotta say a thank you to a Reverend Dr. Otis Moss. These are the people who helped raise me. Reverend Dr. Otis Moss and Reverend Cavanis and Imam Abbas and my teachers like Ms. Thomas and Ms. Patterson and Ms. Merrill Johnson and Ms. Lynn Roebuck who said that your voice will always have power. That's the reason why I came back after I graduated from Morehouse College with honors to say, you know what, true success is not about how far you go, but who you bring along with you. We need fresh eyes when it comes to city services. We must bring city services to the people and not wait for them to come to us. We need to deal with public safety, and we need to look at how do we not only have an impact locally, but also nationally and internationally. Cleveland is the greatest location in the nation, but we, not, we cannot grow unless we work together, and as mayor, my job is to bring the east side and the west side to be one side because we are one Cleveland. Thank you. Thank you, Councilman. Congressman, Dennis Kucinich. Thank you very much. Safety, a peaceful city, prosperity. That's the direction I intend to take Cleveland in. How? 400 new police who will make our neighborhood safer, walking the beat, community patrols, 100 safety assistants who will work and respond to calls that do not require an armed response, a civic peace department, so we can really interact with people at a community level and get underneath the violence that's going on and divert away from violence. In addition to that, I'll lead the way to reduce water rates 10 percent, to cut, to ask our sewer appointees to seek a 10 percent cut in sewer rates. They're both sitting on huge surpluses, those, those uh, departments, and also a, a, 50, a 10 percent reduction in clean public power. How can I do that? Because I know what needs to be done. I have the experience. I also have the willingness. Right now, the people of Cleveland really don't have a choice in, in their government. They don't have a voice. With me, they'll be empowered. The people will finally have a mayor. They can call their own. Thank you. Thank you. Justin Bibb. You know, several weeks ago, I was knocking on doors in Union Miles, and I met a gentleman named Robert Brooks, who's 80 years old. Uh, and he was in the 101st Airborne during the Vietnam War. I knocked on his door, asked the question I always ask when I'm knocking on doors, Mr. Brooks, what do you want to see in the next mayor? He said, young man, I want a mayor that's going to do what they said they were going to do. That's what's at stake in this election. We cannot afford more of the same. Racial and economic justice is on the ballot, making sure we have a modern and responsive city hall that works for our seniors, that works for our families, that works for our children is on the ballot ensuring we continue to improve public education so all of our children can live up to their God-given potential is on the ballot. I've dedicated my entire career 
of making cities safer, stronger, and more resilient. As an executive at Gallup, I advise big city mayors all across the country. As an executive at KeyBank, I advise a $2 billion business. I'm the right leader for the right time. I'm ready for the job. Thank you so much. Thank you. Councilman Zach Reed. First of all, Rick, I want to thank you, and I want to thank everyone at Ideal Stream who brought this to us this evening, and I want to thank you, the voters, for listening this evening. Be rest assured that this election is about neighborhoods. And you saw on this stage tonight the abuse that I had to take simply because of my experience. And there's no substitute for experience. So when someone tells you that neighborhoods are forgotten, these neighborhoods aren't forgotten. These are neighborhoods who just we haven't invested in. My mom lives in these neighborhoods. She raised three boys on her own. Miss Jones lives in these neighborhoods. So for one candidate to say these are forgotten neighborhoods, these neighborhoods, these people don't think their neighborhoods forgotten. What they know is someone at City Hall has not had their back. And they know one thing. They've watched me over the years. And they know that there's one person every day that goes, that went to City Hall and that was looking out for their best interest. And I'm asking you, the voters of the city of Cleveland, on election day, September the 14th, vote for experience. Vote for Zach Reed. Thank you. Mr. DeBello, bring us home. Thank you, Rick. Um, I'm simply much different than the other six candidates up here in the current administration. Combined, they've all raised millions of dollars and gotten tons of endorsements, right? Just like Ohio 11, we're about to get hit with never-ending propaganda in the battle over who can make whose donors richer. You know, if, but if we as Clevelanders want less poverty and crime, but a better environment, city services, public schools, public transit, well, we need to be in charge. The mayor and the 17 council people need to work for and listen to us to represent and be representative of a real Clevelander, to prioritize the real economy, lead paint poisoning, city services, infant mortality, and this being the worst place in the nation for black females. The budget is a moral document. We have so many systemic problems because our system is broken. We need a new energy. These six campaigns are very similar to Mayor Jackson's four very successful campaigns. I got on the ballot because I'm different. I've got all the work ethic and the platform, but finally, Clevelanders have the power. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for an enlightening and enjoyable conversation this last 90 minutes. Next week, though, we're going to work on that 60 seconds thing, okay? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us for the first of two mayoral debates in this primary election cycle in the city of Cleveland. This debate was produced by IdeaStream Public Media in partnership with the City Club of Cleveland. Our media partners are the Press Club of Cleveland and Neo Sojo, Northeast Ohio Solutions Journalism Collaborative. Our thanks to the candidates for participating in this debate, to all the voters and community members who submitted their questions. Voting in this primary begins the 17th of August. That's next Tuesday. We'll have another debate that same evening. Candidates will answer questions again from members of the community, those on education, jobs, the economy, the environment, and transportation. I'm Rick Jackson. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a great night.
Cleveland mayoral debate, Voters First, is made possible by grants from the Cleveland Foundation and the George Gunn Foundation.